Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome. Thank you again for joining me. I'd like to continue in our Yeshua, Son of David, exploring Matthew's Gospel messages today. We're in this study of the Gospel of Matthew, and I want us to look at that again today. We are in Lesson 8, and we're going to talk about the rabbi teacher. Continuing through Matthew's Gospel, Matthew focuses on the Son of God, the Son of David, Israel's Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus himself. He continues to show us Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, chosen, anointed one of God. Today's lesson is no different. We have seen Matthew recording for us the Messiah's foretold birth and early ministry as the messenger of the covenant that John the Immerser or John the Baptist would herald and introduce to the Jews. We've also seen his triumph in the wilderness over the devil prior to his ministry launch. And we saw him launch into ministry, first going to Nazareth, his hometown, and then moving on and headquartering in the Galilee regions in Capernaum, also in fulfillment to Messianic prophecies, because the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali have seen the bright light that we've spoken of in an earlier lesson. Today we're going to look at one of his earliest actions and interactions with some people, and how it also fulfills foretold prophecies from centuries before. So we're going to continue through Matthew's Gospel, and we are in Matthew chapter 4. Today we're going to continue our reading, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and beyond. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, I want to read this in all four Gospels, just so that we understand what the other Gospels bring out as well about this first calling of disciples that Jesus is doing. In Mark chapter 1, let's read verse 16 through 20. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then let's look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the lake of the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, 
and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Then in John chapter 1, let's begin in verse 35 and read through verse 42. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, meaning Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. So details are given here about the first of the disciples, we call them, that Jesus gathered to himself. And he did this with the call to each of them to follow him. These were just the first four of a total of 12 specific disciples he would have. But many more also would follow him through his ministry and also be his disciples even till today. In Jesus' day in the Galilee area, scripture was highly revered and studied. Boys would know by memory before adulthood much of the Holy Scriptures. Girls were also schooled in that area up to certain ages. Age 5, they were considered to be fit for scripture, boys and girls. By age 13, or by the Passover of their 12th birthday, they would be prepared for their bar mitzvah, so to speak, or what would become the bar mitzvah, the fulfillment of the commandments. By adulthood, they would know the scriptures, much of it by memory. Scripture was an integral part of the life, family, vocation, and all activities in the Galilee area. Some of the students would even become teachers by age 30 in that area. Continual education and study of the scripture would be ongoing throughout their life. Much of the scripture would be memorized by the youth and the young adults in that day. Because not all of them had their own copy of the scrolls, 
and most of them had to either memorize it or go to the village synagogue to see the scroll at the synagogue. Therefore, memorizing scripture became very, very important. Now, it's interesting because even way before Jesus' day, the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 11, says this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hiding God's word in your heart is memorizing the scripture. It is putting the word of God inside of you. And I cannot stress that enough. You need to memorize scripture. And it's what we call its address, meaning the chapter and verse, etc. There are many memorization techniques that you could employ to do that successfully. I encourage you to practice memorizing scripture and find the way that works for you. One way that will work or that can work is to recite it out loud. Also listen to maybe an audio Bible and repeat along with the, the reading. Repeat along with the reading so that you're learning and you're getting corrected by the reading. Read, recite it over and over again and also use what's called its address. In the biblical days, the scrolls would be all one book. They weren't necessarily divided with chapter and verse as we have today. But over the centuries, for the aid of reading, memorizing, and studying scripture, we now have the scriptural books broken into chapters and verses. So we call the book, the chapter, and the verse the address. Familiarize yourself with scripture. First of all, I would encourage you to learn all of the books of the Bible and their order so that you can get to where you need to be in Scripture. Even if there are aids today like Bibles on the phones, phone apps, and so forth, still memorize the books of the Bible. Also learn the books and their meaning and their purpose. Get familiar with the chapters within those books and some of the verses within those chapters. Let me give you a, a brief example of what I mean. For instance, if you want to read about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, you want to learn how to find that in Scripture quickly so that you know where it is. You don't want to have to look in Habakkuk, for instance, and hope you can find it there because you won't find it there. You can look in First Timothy, and First Timothy will not carry that story for you. So learn to familiarize yourself with scripture. If you're looking at the life of Abraham, most likely it will primarily be found in the book of Genesis. In the New Testament and even perhaps in some of the Psalms and other places, you will find references to particulars of Abraham's life. But Abraham's life's journey and story will primarily be found in the book of Genesis. So if you want to see the sacrifice of Isaac, for instance, you know first that it needs to be found in the book of Genesis. So then what chapter and what verse do you look for? Well, after you familiarize yourself with the book of Genesis, you understand that the sacrifice of Isaac is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 22 in our Bibles. And then Abraham actually utters a prophetic word in Genesis chapter 22, at this time when he was called to sacrifice Isaac, before he even gets to the altar at the top of the hill, Isaac asked him, 
we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says this prophetic word. He said, God will provide himself the lamb for the sacrifice for the burnt offering. And that verse, that prophetic word, is found in verse 8 of chapter 22 of Genesis in our Bibles. So it's that kind of thing that can help you because you may or may not know that it's verse 8, but you know the neighborhood where you will find it. You know it's in Genesis and you know it's in chapter 22. So you can find it much easier. These are helps that will help you memorize scripture, memorize the addresses and understand it better. So I encourage you to do that. And in that day, there would be much memorization of scripture in the area around the Galilee. Also, the rabbi would have students. There would be a rabbi. The rabbi was a teacher of scripture. He normally would be ordained by another rabbi. He would be one that had been a student of another rabbi and would become ordained by that rabbi to then carry on the work and teach others. In Jesus' case, this ordination was another part of Jesus' baptism by none other than God himself because God proclaimed from heaven that this is my beloved son, hear him. He also proclaimed that at the Mount of Transfiguration over Jesus, his son. So God proclaims his approval of him as his rabbi. A rabbi in that day would have students. They were called Talmudim. This just simply meant disciples. These students would follow the rabbi throughout life, learning from him and seeking to live accordingly, seeking to become like him. That was the goal of the Talmudim, was to be like their master, like their rabbi, like their teacher. Eventually then, they would then teach others the same things they had learned and live the life like their master, their rabbi, their teacher had lived. Often they would leave their homes and travel with the rabbi under his care and tutelage and his study daily throughout life, just throughout various life experiences and situations that would arise. The Talmudim has a much deeper meaning than just that of a student. The Talmud would want to be like his teacher. He would want to become who and what the teacher was in his character and in his lifestyle. The Talmudim would be carefully devoted to the teacher. They would keep notes and records of exactly what he would do and how he would do it because they were determined to learn from his example and become like him. So to be a Talmud meant total commitment to the rabbi. Jesus, as the rabbi, comes on the scene now, launching out into his ministry, and he is calling these four as the first of his disciples to follow him, meaning the call of a rabbi for students. It was an invitation for them to become his students under his tutelage and follow him as rabbi. And when the rabbi would give such an invitation, it meant that he had confidence in them to know that they did have the commitment necessary to be devoted to him and eventually become like him. 
It was a remarkable affirmation from the rabbi of the student's ability to successfully follow him, to successfully become like him, and to successfully carry on after him. So the life of a Talmud or a disciple was to be with their rabbi, living life with them, prioritizing the rabbi and his teaching, making all else become secondary. And they would be watching and learning meticulously, obeying and imitating the rabbi to become like him and to carry on from him. Jesus, as the rabbi, would teach God's word. He also would honor it in his own life. He obeyed it. He honored it. He fulfilled it. He interpreted it for them and showed them the true meaning. He would show them the way to live. Now, how does this very thing, the rabbi Talmud relationship, fulfill prophecy in Jesus? How does Jesus fulfill a prophetic word foretold centuries before that this would happen? Well, to find that answer, we look at Jeremiah chapter 16. And I want to read verses 14 through 17 to understand a little about the context. In Jeremiah chapter 16, beginning in verse 14, it says this, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. So in this prophetic word, this is concerning the time when God would regather Israel back after a captivity, after the time when they would be going into captivity. Now, in the time of Jeremiah's writings, that was referring to the Babylonian captivity that was imminent, that they were going to go off to Babylon. They had already been driven out by Assyria in the northern kingdom. And now the southern kingdom has been very unfaithful to the Lord and done evil things and abominations. And so God is bringing judgment on them, which is the upcoming Babylonian captivity at the time Jeremiah is writing this. But Jeremiah has given a prophetic word here. And God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to gather you back into your land. And he says, in that time, when I gather you back into your land, God makes this promise. He says, I will send forth. In other words, I'm going to call for, I'm going to stretch out and give an invitation calling for many fishermen, which is exactly what is happening here. As a matter of fact, the first four that Jesus chooses, these four that we just read about, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen by trade. They were literal fishermen. And the purpose of God prophesying here through Jeremiah to call for fishermen is to fish 
them, in other words, to fish God's people, to fish for those who will believe and receive the Messiah that God has sent. Those who will believe in their hearts and will receive the Messiah. God has seen their sin and is calling for them to come and return to him in repentance. And in doing so, God is sending forth fishermen to go after them, to fish for them with the gospel, with the good news that Messiah has come. Jesus even declared his mission. He said, I have come to save, to seek and to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was teaching his disciples also to do the same. And he would even extend it for them to teach and to reach and to fish to the whole world by the end of his ministry. And we find that in the Great Commission. I want to notice a few comparisons here from some of these things that we've read. Jesus' first disciples, when he called them, they had been fishing and caught nothing. In the accounts that we read, they had been fishing, they had caught nothing, they were now washing and cleaning their nets. Jesus tells them to cast again. And when they did, at Jesus' word, there was an abundant catch, and their nets were breaking. Notice it says their nets were breaking. But it's interesting that by the end of Jesus' ministry, after he had risen from the dead, in John chapter 21, I want to read the first several verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now, when you look that up, it's as if Peter says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm going back to fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. Now they were just saying, well, well, we're just going on a fishing trip. We'll go too. We'll join you. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples 
after he was raised from the dead. Notice when Jesus first calls them, they had been fishing and caught nothing. Jesus tells them to cast again, and there's an abundant catch. But in that case, the nets, their nets, were breaking. By the end of Jesus' ministry, here in John chapter 21, however, they were fishing all night. Remember, Peter thought, I'm going back to fishing. I don't know what's happened to Jesus. He must not want me anymore. I'm going back to fishing. And the other disciples were, okay, well, we'll go, we'll go fishing with you tonight. But they were fishing with no catch. Jesus tells them to cast on the right side of the boat, and there was an abundant catch, 153 total. Now, I believe this is significant that we're told the number. But notice this, their net this time was not broken. First of all, the 153 in that day may very well have represented the total of the world's countries at that time, or known peoples at that time. And yet the net was not broken. So in this case, the net is not broken here at the end of Jesus' ministry. What's the importance? I believe that these nets have some significance. First of all, in the first encounter, it was their nets. They were doing everything in their own strength. Yet in this last encounter, at the end of Jesus' ministry days, near the end, when he had risen from the dead, this third time he appears to them, it was still their nets. But the net was symbolic of what they were casting out, which was the gospel. They now will fish with the gospel. They now will fish with the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the lifestyle they've learned as Talmudim, as students under their rabbi. And that net will not be broken. Before they started following Jesus, fishing was their trade. Now it is their life and their eternal vocation for the Lord and for eternal purposes. The net represents the gospel, and it is to be cast all over the world. Jesus even spoke about a dragnet being cast out and the fish to be gathered. The purpose of the net of the gospel being cast out is the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus to his Talmudim, to his disciples, right before he would ascend back to the Father in heaven. So in essence, he's telling them now, and at the Great Commission, he clarifies it. Now it's your turn. You now carry on. You've been under my tutelage for three and a half years. You have seen me. You have watched me. You have learned from me. You have been my faithful disciples. Now it's your turn. You must carry this on. You must fish for all the people I will send you to, because I want to save them. Your job is to fish for them with the net of the good news. And it clarifies for them now that it is extended to the whole world, both Jew and Gentile or Greek alike. Even to Peter, even Peter became a fisher of men from both Jewish and Gentile communities. Because Peter had been shown that sheet that came down from heaven with all these unclean animals on it, this vision. And so Peter was then informed of the Lord. You go to the Jews and to the Gentiles. 
And then we see even Philip in Acts chapter 8 going and preaching the gospel, giving the, the good news, the net of the gospel, and fishing for men. We see Paul doing that. And Paul went to both Jew and Gentile as well. So we note from these passages that the net represents the gospel, the good news for all people, for all time, for all generations. It does not change. The methods may change from generation to generation as long as the good news of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ scripturally that which matches scripture, it is never to change. This net of the gospel of Jesus Christ will not break throughout all of the generations as generation to generation passes on the faith of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. That net is reused over and over, so to speak, and it will be successful. It will catch people from all nations and the proof of that is found for us in revelation chapter 5 in revelation chapter 5 i want to read verses 8 through 10 now when he meaning jesus had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So here we see how the gospel has gone all over the world and reached people throughout generations to bring them to Jesus. And he has washed them clean of their sins through his blood because they believed in him. And he has saved them in their generations. Note also back in John chapter 21, where Jesus told his Talmud to bring to him the fish they caught. Our job is to point people to Jesus. We are fishing for people who will believe and receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Jesus wants them to be coming to him. Our job is to point people to Jesus and to bring them to him from everywhere that the Lord will send us, from all nations. Jesus told us that right before he left. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So even in this great commission, we see the rabbi passing it on to the next generation of rabbis, saying, you are to go and preach my message, my good news to them. Carry the net of the gospel to all generations in all nations. Baptize those who will believe in me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
make new disciples of them in their generations and teach them what I have taught you. Teach them to become like me also in all generations. The net does not break. It will bring a harvest of souls for the Lord and for his glory. And we then can become like him even in our generation. Paul gives us that hope and that promise in Second Corinthians. And I want to draw to a close with this final passage. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, it says this, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul is telling us here that as we behold him, as we follow him, our rabbi, the Lord Jesus Christ, and learn from him, looking to him, as James tells us in James chapter 1, as if in a mirror, we are being transformed little by little into his image, being made like him. And this work is being done not by ourselves. It's not our nets doing it in our own flesh. It is the work of the Spirit of God within us through God's grace, just like Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 prophesied about. As it was an honor and privilege for rabbis to call forth Talmudim to follow him, and it was an honor and privilege for those Talmudim to follow the rabbi, our Lord Jesus Christ, he still today is calling for people to become his disciples. May we in our generation, be those found among his disciples, following him, obeying him, and living in his character and in a lifestyle that pleases him and that brings him honor. And may we be fishing for the people that the Lord wants us to bring to him in our day as well. May we be found among his faithful disciples today. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for more episodes in this series, Yeshua, Son of David, Exploring Matthew's Gospel. I pray that the Lord will bless you today richly. In Jesus' name, amen.